0: and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now, here's Dean.
1: And thank you so much, Rachel Joseph. We appreciate your Introduction as always, and welcome everyone to another edition of In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's a delight to have you join us again for another conversation. In fact, today's conversation is a very special one because we circle back with someone who was the guest on our very first ever podcast. In fact, uh, we think that that first podcast, which had what we call the three amigos sometimes, the three leaders of our national leadership team is actually one of our highest uh, rated and and most downloaded podcasts in the uh, about a year and a half that we've been doing this. So uh, we're grateful to have back with us today Rosemary Lukens, who is the current moderator of the 42nd General Assembly. She was the moderator-elect when she was on the last time, and now she's a moderator. And after our General Assembly, she will be the chair of the National Leadership Team, which means she'll be my Boss, and I have to behave myself. So, Rosemary, welcome back to In All Things. It's a delight to have you. Thank you very much, Dean. All right. Well, before we get into our conversation today, uh, today's podcast is brought to you by none other than the National Leadership Team of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And sometimes people say to me, Dean, what is the NLT? Well, the National Leadership Team is not a court of the church like a, a session might be, or a presbytery, or the General Assembly. Those are the three courts of the church, but it does act similar to a session in the sense that it is the leadership team that carries out the wishes of the General Assembly between its meetings. So the General Assembly authorizes a committee to carry out its business between its gatherings, and the National Leadership Team is just that. Now the EPC is two entities, like any local church is. It is an ecclesial entity as a denomination and we gather together to do ecclesial work as a general assembly and I serve that assembly as a stated clerk. But we're also, so that you know, church and state can, can know how to work together, which you must do, we are also an ecclesial corporation. And as a corporation, the general assembly is basically the, the shareholder, the single loan shareholder, and it speaks with one voice to make decisions for the corporation, but those decisions are carried out and implemented by their board of directors, like any corporation would. And so the NLT actually functions like a board of directors on the corporate side and kind of like a session on the ecclesial side. But it only has power that's been given to it by the General Assembly, the highest court of the church. It's populated by uh, 12 individuals. We try to represent as many of our presbyteries as we can, Uh, with a balance of ruling elders and teaching elders. But we also have three people that sit on the national leadership team, in addition to those 12, which is the executive team, or the moderator-elect moderator, and the outgoing moderator, or the new chair of the council. And that is who we're talking to today. Rosemary is the current moderator and is about to be the chair the national leadership team. So Rosemary, I help those who are listening in, you've traveled a lot in your moderatorial year and people have gotten to know you. But for those who haven't, for those who have not met you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? How did you come to the faith? And, and what is the pathway that brought you into leadership in his church?
2: Well, I grew up on Orcas Island, which is off of Washington State. And I just sort of fell into knowing the Lord. I can't pinpoint a day or a time when, you know, I was converted. For instance, I was around 12 and I just realized I'd gone to church. My my family were not churchgoers, but my dad's boss picked me up every Sunday, hmm. every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. You and realize
1: today that sounds creepy, right? I,
2: well, <laughs> he mean, had his family with him. Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> Back in the day, that kind of stuff was normal. But today, you're kind of like... I, boss my dad's boss what <laughs> all right yes
2: and he, his son was my age so okay. right. it was totally fine okay good and i just sort of grew into knowing the lord and following the lord and i've been following the lord ever since
1: any pathways where you deviated from the faith i mean did you have any you don't have to give any tell-all stories here maybe wild party years in college or anything like that
2: no my life is so boring
1: wow you know, know, it's interesting, though, in our society, people kind of wow at those kind of stories, right? The, the Damascus Road stories. And yet the ones that should really stop us in awe are the people who are covenant faithful and have been so all of their life and have stayed the path and never, like, that's even more grace, right? To be able to, mm-hmm. to be that all of your life, we, we tend to, you know, not think of those stories. They don't get sensationalized. But really, we're talking about God sustaining grace continually throughout all of the years. That's a great testimony.
2: It has totally been amazing. I started tithing when I was babysitting when I was about 15. Wow. And I've been tithing ever since.
1: Wow! And well, we here at the Office of the General Assembly appreciate you tithing <laughs> to the larger church, so thank you.
2: And It's just been an interesting walk. I thought I was going to be an opera singer. Okay. I started out in that way in my first year. I had a voice teacher on Orcas. Okay. Was a retired opera singer. She sort of said to me when I was nineteen, "You have a choice to make. If you want to sing opera, you can sing, but you can't do anything else. You can't get married. You can't have children. Singing in an opera is life consuming. Wow. If you want to be good." Wow. And I, and so you know, I'm nineteen years old, and but thinking, Mm-mm, "That's not for me." Mm-hmm. So, I went to college, became a nurse, did a nursing for oh my thirty some years. Wow. The last few years I was nursing, I was the clinical educator and became involved in a project of culture change that led my career in a different direction. Hmm. So in 2000, uh, let's see, 2002, I started grad school and in 2004, I finished. My late husband died in 2003. So
1: there was just... So he died while you were in graduate
2: school? Yes. Wow. So I was working full time, going to graduate school. And caring for him for a couple of months until he died. Wow. And then a year later, I met a guy who stood next to him in choir that, you know, it's a big church. I hadn't noticed him. And his name is David Lukens, and I married him. So, hmm.
1: wow. Yeah. It's All kind right. of a whirlwind. The old choir romance. Yes. Woo. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Scary. Making beautiful <laughs> music together.
2: <laughs> he has been a great partner. He travels with me. I my anxiety level gets high when I have to drive and find places. And you know, GPS is wonderful, but quite frankly, I need a GPS to get from my kitchen to the bathroom. So it's really nice so having a driver. Dave is your GPS. <laughs> yes, he is. All right,
1: excellent. <laughs> so in this season of your life, you have found yourself. You're a ruling elder at Chapel Hill Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Gig Harbor, Washington, which is one of the great churches in the EPC and um, really a a highly engaged contributing church, both in your, in your local community. I mean, it's a great congregation in and of itself, but a lot of larger great congregations don't always have an eye towards their community. Chapel Hill and Gig Harbor does, but it has a beyond the walls kind of capacity. That's way, you know, it does look into their community, but it also looks into the rest of the country and around the world. It is a, it is a local, regional, global, it's a Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends-of-the-earth kind of church, and that includes high level of engagement for a number of leaders. In fact, you're the second moderator of the General Assembly from that congregation, but other people serving on national teams and committees and really a church that's contributed a ton to the larger church, whether it's the Presbytery or the General Assembly. And you came onto the national leadership team, and you're you know, moderator-elect, now you're moderator. What has the Lord taught you by being involved in the larger church?
2: It has just been amazing to me, this year especially as moderator, getting out to different presbyteries, meeting different people, realizing that although intellectually I was aware of the fact that there are Christians all around the world and that the Holy Spirit is operant everywhere we are. When you get to see it and sort of feel it, it's just amazing. And that's been a great experience for me.
1: There's a a difference between knowing about something and knowing something kind of experientially, right? Yes.
2: I thought I might get some pushback in some of the presbyteries around the country because I'm the first woman moderator, but that has absolutely not been the case. Quite to the contrary, I have had so many comments from men who have come up to me and said, I'm so glad to see you in this role. I'm so excited about what you're doing. Thank you for encouraging the women in this congregation and in this presbytery to get engaged and get involved. And so one of the things that I frequently say is everybody's life has a big C call on it. Hmm. If you've read Oz Guinness, the call, it's a fabulous book. And it really shows you that every single person has a big C call And many of us go through lives without recognizing that. And I think that might be particularly true for women. So getting engaged in the church is, is I think, phenomenally important for all people, but especially for women. So it's been a delight for me to be able to encourage husbands to get their wives involved, whether they're TEs or REs, and for young women. To get engaged and involved. And I um, was in the Presbytery of Central Carolinas. It was one of the most exciting experiences in a Presbytery that I've had. If mm. I had to choose a Presbytery, that's the one I would choose to live in. Wow. <laughs> it okay. was incredible.
1: All right. Everybody in the Pacific Northwest, close your ears for that yeah, one. Well, yeah. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't listen. She's, <laughs> she's still a member of your Presbytery. Yes. Don't, don't,
2: don't. I'm staying home.
1: Yes. All right.
2: I was just standing in line talking to somebody at that presbytery, when a young woman walked by, said, hi, my name is Meredith. And we chatted like two sentences and she walked on. And about a month later, I got an email from her saying, two of my friends and I were all in different levels of education, seminary. We would like to get to talk to you about how we get a place at the table because we're young women. And so we set up a Zoom and talked for an hour and we're going to, that was in March, we're going to do it again probably next month. I mean, those opportunities just don't come unless you're there.
1: You're very passionate. You're a person who feels very strongly about not only your beliefs, but your enthusiasm for the work of the church is super contagious. There are things that the Lord places in your heart that you're just super passionate about. And the big C church is a place where those passions have been able to and I think as the moderator you've had a a more visible platform to live out some of those passions. So what are the what are the things that the Lord has put in your heart that just burn so deeply that you're just passionate about getting the word out on?
2: There are probably two things that I'm really passionate about. One is ministerial education, vocational prep kind of things that the ministerial vocation committee is working on. We have to figure out a different way of engaging people and getting them into the pipeline that doesn't require them to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars in college. So I'm really really excited about what things that, that the MVC are working on and looking at. Yeah,
1: that's a it's a real problem, right? I mean, you it have is. you have baby boomers who are retiring. You have the Barnes statistics say 42% of the people who are currently in ministry are thinking about leaving. And then we don't see a lot of Gen uh, Z people coming up or even Y coming up into ministry so that there doesn't seem to be enough people coming to be able to fill the the spots that we have. And then some of the requirements that we place on them, particularly around education, you know, you're talking about college debt, then you're talking about seminary Mm -hmm. debt, then they can't afford to go to, to say, a smaller church that, that can't pay them enough to like live and service their debt load. And so we've created this scenario. If we find creative pathways in ministerial vocations and the calling to the ministry, how do we do that without lowering our standards? So I want your thoughts on that. Maybe let's put that in the parking lot and let's go back. What's your second passion beside ministerial vocation?
2: This may come across a little bit strange, but my second passion is POI.
1: Okay. That is really strange. (laughs) So POI, explain what POI is for those who are listening in.
2: Well, we used to do our funding by per member ask. Now we are switching. We started last year over the next couple of years to percentage of income. I love that idea. I just don't think that the church should ever be in a position, the big church see, where we can't afford to do the work of the ministry. We really, really are passionate about Jesus and we want the people that we know and love And like live next door to us or live across the world, whatever that may be. If we want them to know Jesus, we have to be able to fund these things that we are doing, even in the EPC. So we have world outreach, but we also want to grow churches. We want to build churches. We want to spread the word to communities that don't have churches. And we want healthy churches. We want pastors that are healthy.
1: All of that takes money. It does. And it's... Amazing. It just doesn't happen you know, <laughs> miraculously overnight. It just, it just doesn't. I mean, we heard at our most recent national leadership team meeting of story after story after story of, of churches that were having adult baptisms mm-hmm. uh, on Easter Sunday because their people are actually taking the three circles and integrating it into their church. I mean, I know one, one church that it's the benediction every Sunday. They make sure that everybody hears a clear gospel presentation before they walk out of the church. And so we're hearing these stories of people coming to Christ and people being baptized, but that requires training, that requires resources, that requires distribution, that requires follow-up, that it's now we're going to be talking a lot more about discipleship because obviously it's not just about coming to Christ, it's about following Christ. We heard from Bob Stauffer recently that his team has trained 90 transitional pastors. And with all of the retired baby boomer pastors retiring, and we have all these vacancies, I can't even imagine where we would be without the training of those transitional pastors. So the funding of the Big C is one of your passions, huh? It is.
2: All right. I I just have a strong belief that Jesus does not intend the church to be poverty-stricken in the sense that they can't do the ministry that we have been called to do. I mean, we are great-commissioned people. Great-commissioned people should give greatly.
1: Great-commissioned people should give greatly. I think... God wants us to cultivate and bring about fruitfulness in life and abundance. And that's, of course, eternal life. That's abundant life. That's our primary thing that we have the opportunity to bring. And you've heard me say, people don't give to organizations that have needs. But they do give to organizations that meet needs. The EPC is an organization that meets the greatest need of all. Because our mission is to carry out the Great Commission. Right? right? But I love your phrase. What surprised you? Every moderator has a different experience. No two are the same. Is there something that jumps off at you as unexpected and a kind of a serendipitous surprise of sorts?
2: What has surprised me, I think, is that God continues to open doors that I don't expect and don't see. And he makes his way through me out into a much broader world than I would have been able to see. That's phenomenal to me. You grow up on an island and you think, oh, uh, you know, it's a tiny little homogenous society, and I'm sure there's a world out there, but I'll never see it. Hmm. And You've definitely seen it. I definitely have. Yeah. And then to be asked to be on the national leadership team, it's like, why did I get asked? I'm from a little tiny community across the world, from here anyway. So I just have to say, God did that.
1: The surprise that God taps you on the shoulder and you find you where you are, and yet decides somehow he wants to use regular, ordinary people.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, it is amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. And his faithfulness throughout all of this has just been
1: remarkable. Yeah. So I, I said I wanted to put something in the parking lot, and it occurred to me I haven't gone back to the parking lot to get that item. So I'm going to go back there now before we close, because I do think the interest, and this is changing direction a little bit, but I do think the question of ministerial of vocations, which is one of your passions, and the pathways toward ordination so that we can find creative new pathways to empower a whole next generation of leaders to rise up in leadership. Do you have any thoughts on how we do that without lowering? our standards. You know, Presbyterians have a long history of highly valuing educated clergy, right? And there's pluses and there's maybe some minuses that go with that. Uh, I speak as a person with multiple advanced degrees and Mm -hmm. there's good and bad in those things. Do you have any thoughts on how do we create more pathways for younger generations to find themselves in ministry without lowering the standards?
2: I don't think we can lower the standards that would not be an option in my thinking at least there are other platforms there are several seminaries now that are moving to online and zoom and cohort models and things like that as opposed to a live in a dormitory go to you know a brick and mortar
1: there's value in both right yes. i mean there's great value in living in community yes but that's not possible for everybody
2: i think some community living in is probably essential I'm not sure that you can learn how to interact with other people or, or the softer skills that frequently seminaries don't cover, like character formation and the ability that you have to manage difficult things. You come out of seminary with a great theological education, but that doesn't mean that you can manage people or write budgets or some of the business kinds of things that need to be taught. And I think that can be done on Zoom. You know, you could have 80 people in a cohort. And break them out into groups of 10 with pastors or great lay leaders, depending on the content, get the opportunity to share with those 10 people.
1: And at this coming General Assembly, there will be something before the Assembly to appoint an ad interim committee, moderator appointed, to look at our ordination standards and come back in two years with any recommendations of any adjustments that need to be made. And I think you're right, we, we shouldn't consider lowering the standards. In fact, We may want to raise our standards, the inverse of what you might expect, and that is to say we haven't measured things like character formation or spiritual formation or ministry readiness in terms of emotional well-being and spiritual faith. Taking a Bible exam is not the same as being spiritually mature. You can know the facts but not know how to relate the facts to to people in a life-transforming way. So somehow we need to do a more comprehensive approach to preparation. I don't think Generation Y or Z would back down from that challenge. I think, in fact, they would welcome it.
2: I do too. Work happens in relationship. And if you don't have relationship, a lot of the task part of the work can be frustrating and can simply not go anywhere. So... Building relationships mean you have to know yourself and you have to be willing to share yourself with other people, even on Zoom.
1: And the value of intergenerational yes. relationships, right? I mean, you've experienced that even on the NLT. Yes. We have people, I mean, we're West Coast, East Coast, North, South, younger, older men, women, ruling mm-hmm. elders, teaching elders. I mean, there's there's a lot of different composition there, but we grow from one another, right? And I, I find the younger members of the NLT push us and cause us to think about things in a way that we might not otherwise, and we're richer and stronger for it.
2: Yes, I agree. And I would like to see the older generation, like my generation, embrace change. The world isn't the way it was 50 years ago when I was growing up. We can't look at church and say, I wish it was the old days. We don't.
1: Yeah. The old days are never probably as good as we remember them being anyway. If you actually could rewind (laughs) the clock, you probably would go, ooh. Well, Rosemary, we're going to have to wrap up our time together, but it's been an utter delight, as it always is, talking with you. And we appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your journey, and especially sharing your leadership gifts. And um, thankfully, you're not going away anytime soon. You're going to be transitioning this General Assembly from moderator to the chair of the National Leadership Team, which unfortunately for you means we're going to be working even more closely together than we have, <laughs> so I apologize for that ahead of time. But thank you for being with us today.
2: Thank you, Dean.
1: All right. Well, my friends, I hope you found this conversation between two friends to be an encouraging one for you. And perhaps it's opened up your imagination to what it might be like to be a part of the large church sea. And I'd like to leave you with that one thought of Rosemary's, which is that Great Commission people should be giving greatly to that commission. And that's a, one that's going to stick with me uh, going out of this conversation. Well, my friends, we end with the good word from God's word, as we always do, that you might be blessed on your way because God's word goes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which it has been established, and it does not return void. Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things, my friends, have been created through him and there for him. He is before all things. And in him, that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in him all things hold together. For you see, he is the head of the body, the church. That includes the APC. Until the next time we gather, my friends, I bid grace and peace to you
0: for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.